0: So, we're going to read from Psalm 119, verses 121 through 128. Psalm 119, 121 through 28 says, I have done what is righteous and just. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Ensure your servant's well being. Do not let the arrogant oppress me. My eyes fail looking for your salvation, looking for your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your love and teach me your decrees. I am your servant. Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. It is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. So we read things like that in the scriptures over and over again. Think about what he's saying here, that he loves the scriptures more than gold, more than pure gold. Uh, Do we have that kind of attitude toward the scriptures? It's just something to think about. Because if we did, then it would lead us to hate every evil way, just like he says here in this psalm. So just another encouragement to keep uh, reading God's word, getting God's word into you, and and most of all, obeying God's word. Because if we read it and hear it and don't obey it, we deceive ourselves, and that's not what God wants for any of us. So just remember to keep on reading God's word, and uh, that's a good encouragement. So we're going to sing some worship songs. First, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done
1: I she... percent. for you at this altar. Because you
2: gave your life for me, because you gave your life for me. Hey, those were some good songs, right? The last one says we're to give our lives an offering, and that's what the Bible says. We are to give our lives a, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, not a dead one. He had enough of those dead ones. He wants living sacrifices today, right? Okay, we're going to do uh, the communion this morning, and i uh, got a few scriptures to read here, if I can see them. So the Apostle Paul got this revelation from, from Jesus, where he said this, For I have received of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, take, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, which he, When he had sup, saying, this cup is the, the New Testament in my blood. This do you as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take communion and we're going to give thanks to the Lord. We're going to look back and see what he did for us. You know, when he took those stripes on his back, it was for healing. It's what Isaiah the prophet said, that we, that the stripes that he took was for healing and healing. The Bible says is in the atonement, the same as salvation is in the atonement for our, for our sins. So, so we're to, we're to expect healing when we get sick from the Lord. So it's, it's there to receive. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in church this morning, Lord we ask you lord uh, just to be with us here we ask you to bless this little uh, service that we're having this morning bless the, the the communion lord we pray and we ask it in the gracious name of jesus and everybody said
3: Good morning. Now is the time in the service for announcements. Um, in the foyer, um, there are bins to collect your used and empty pill bottle donations for Matthew 25 Ministries. Also for any used ink cartridges that you're probably going to throw away anyway, we will take them um, and it will help reduce any office costs. Food pantry closed closet is every Thursday from 5 to 7. There are orange Um, half sheet papers out there on the welcome table that can help you identify some things if you're out and about and you want to pick up a few things to drop off also this thursday during the food pantry um, we are going to be having a cookout for the community if you would like to serve or just come by and maybe pray with people or see what we do um, it is this thursday june 23rd from five to seven we're going to be cooking out hot dogs and giving out chips and a drink and donated ice cream Um, ReFit is a free fitness class on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 6.30 to 7.30. Um, there's no ReFit this week because they are going out of town for a ReFit Recon. So they're going to get recharged and bring back some new dance moves. Mellon Ridge Nursing Home Church Ministry is the fourth Sunday of every month, so next Sunday, the 26th at 2 p.m. There is a sign-up out there. If you haven't already signed up to go this month, that would be great. Um, After service, we will have lunch together, and then we will head over from there. Tithes and offerings can be given in person in the offering box in the back. Also, they can now be accepted online at our website there, and there's more information out in the foyer. Weekly budget is twenty nine eighty, and here's a list of ministries that you support through giving here at Heartland. Financial Peace University classes are going to be starting July eleventh, uh, Mondays at six thirty p.m. If you have any questions, you can contact Chris or Kristen Nay. HTC Weekly Community Cookout. This is something new. Um, a weekly outreach where we will go into the community and serve a meal to our neighbors. So weekly, you heard it right, it's going to be every Saturday starting July 2nd. We're going to meet here at Heartland at one thirty, gather up all of our supplies and go into the community and grill out and meet our neighbors and tell them about the love of Jesus. Goshen Ready Fest 2022. This is actually the seventh year we've been doing this. We partner with about... 12 um, other churches or Christian organizations in the area, Um, and Heartland is collecting colored pencils and zipper pencil pouches. No boxes, please. Um, There is a bin in the foyer with this flyer on it, Um, and it kind of just tells you a little bit more about it. If you have any questions, I'll be your contact for that. Last but not least, we are looking for anyone who's interested in helping with the lawn care um, I do have a sign-up sheet, so I will leave that out on the welcome table as well. If you have questions, you can contact myself or Dan Marsh. Thank you. And happy Father's Day.
0: So I started the series a couple weeks back. I'm going to finish it today. I do appreciate our fathers. I think that um, we get the short end of the stick, so to speak. Mothers get all the credit, as if they could have had babies without us. It's not. <laughs> Can't have babies without the guy, you know what I mean? He's got to be involved. He's got So I'll give you my Father's Day message for today is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father. There you go. That's all you need to know. All right. So we are going to continue and actually conclude our series today entitled, I Live for One Another. In this series, we're learning how to be more like Jesus by learning to live our lives for one another. That we've already seen through this series that God commands his people to love one another, to serve one another honor one another, to teach, counsel, and encourage one another, and this week we're going to conclude by uh, looking at three more things God commands us to do to live for one another. That's what we'll talk about today. Let's pray. Lord, as you speak to us through your word, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and both the will and the ability to put your word into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing God commands his people to do for one another is God commands his people to be devoted to one another. The first part of Romans 12, 10, Paul says, be devoted to one another. Now, according to the theological lexicon of the New Testament, the Greek word behind the phrase be devoted to expresses familial affection, an attachment sealed by nature and blood ties, uniting spouses, parents, and children, brothers, and sisters. So when Paul says to be devoted to one another in love, he means we're to love one another like family. Paul says the same thing again in Hebrews 13.1. He says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. So God commands us to be devoted to one another by loving one another like brothers and sisters, by loving one another like family. Now, there's usually a special bond between families, right? We might get on each other's nerves at times. We might drive each other crazy at times. We might need to get away from each other at times. But families usually have a special connection to one another. Now, I have two older brothers, and neither one of them are followers of Christ. So that means that we're headed in different directions in our lives, and our priorities are different in a lot of different ways. But I still have a certain affection with them, or a certain connection with them, and an affection for them that I don't share with the world. Why? Well, it's because we have a family bond. We have the same parents, we grew up together, we shared many life experiences together, we've worked together, we've played together, we've been through times of joy, pain, sadness, gladness, celebration, and mourning together. We've lived in close relationships with one another for most of our lives. So we have this family bond that was formed not only because of who our parents are, but because of the experiences we shared together as a family. And that bond that we share is hard to break. And there's a similar but stronger family bond God wants us to build together as Christians. He commands us to love one another with family affection, to love one another like family. As Christians, we all have the same parent. We all have the same father. Our father is the God of the universe, the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we become a part of God's family through Jesus Christ when we're born again. We're united to God, and we're united to one another by the human and divine natures of Christ when we get into Christ. In Christ, we truly become a part of God's family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And as God's family, God wants us to share many life experiences together. God wants us to work together, to play together, to experience life's joys, pains, sorrows, gladness, celebrations, and mourning together. God wants us to grow up together in Christ by living in close and continuous relationships with one another for the rest of our lives on this earth. It's time we got away from the solo Christianity that we've been preached, that has been preached at us for 50 years or so. It's all about a community. It's all about becoming a part of a family. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to help us to live and love one another as we ought to in this family. The Holy Spirit makes us one he binds us all together in a way that makes the bond we share as saints stronger than the natural relationships that we have with our earthly families. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve twelve through 13, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So as Christians, we're all baptized into the body of Christ by the one Holy Spirit to unite us with God's family. It doesn't matter what our gender is. It doesn't matter what our race is or where we come from. We all become one. We become a part of the family of God in Christ when the Spirit of God baptizes us into Christ. And the same Holy Spirit unites us with God's family, the same one who does that. He also helps us to be devoted to one another, to love one another like family, because the Holy Spirit Pours out God's love into all of our hearts so that we're able to love as God wants us to love. So, with the help of the Holy Spirit, God's people can all obey God's command to be devoted to one another and love one another like family. And our devotion to one another as God's family will lead us to obey a second command God gives his people. God commands his people to be kind to one another. In Ephesians 4 32, Paul says, Be kind to one another. What does it mean to be kind? We hear that word a lot, be kind. Well, the word means to be good, generous, and gentle to one another, to be caring, courteous, and charitable to one another. Imagine a loving family that tries to do everything they can to help one another. They say and do only good things to and for one another. They never tear one another down with their words. They're always encouraging. They're generous with their time and their resources. They deal gently with one another's weaknesses. Nobody is selfish. They consider the needs of every other member of the family ahead of their own. And that's what God wants from his children when he commands us to be kind to one another. God wants his people to be a close-knit family where none of us are selfish, where we're all devoted to the welfare of every other member of the family. God's people should be a family where no one is left out and no need goes unmet. uh, unmet. In other words, God commands his people to treat one another as God treats us. As the father of this family, God is our example. And God wants us to be good, to be generous and gentle, caring and courteous and charitable to one another, as he is all of those things to us. We're to be kind to one another. As God is kind to us in our words and in our works, in what we say and in what we do. Now, we've all heard the old saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Well, is that true? It's not even close, is it? I don't know who came up with that. And I'm not going to say anything bad about it. I'm going to be encouraging. But I'm going to encourage them to stop saying that because it's, not, it's just not true, right? See, words can often hurt more than physical attacks. Broken bones often heal much quicker than wounds from words. In Proverbs eighteen twenty one, the scriptures say, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the words we speak have the power to bring life or death to those who hear us. So we've got to watch what we say and be sure that we're speaking life into one another. And as James reminds us in James 1, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So we don't want a worthless religion, right? So we got to guard what we say to make sure we speak only gracious and kind, life-giving words that build one another up and do not tear one another down. As Paul says in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, we often hear that scripture in the context of uh, not, we don't want to say any cuss word, but it's much more than that. We got to strive to speak only wholesome, helpful words that benefit and meet the needs of others, excuse me, by building them up. We should be kind in what we say to one another. We should also be kind in what we do to one another. We're all very familiar with the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 12. He says, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So what do we call this, this command here? We call it the golden rule. Now, these words have become so familiar to us that it's become more of a cliche than a command, right? Something we put on a, a postcard or put it on, in a card that you're writing to people, whatever. But Jesus meant this as a command, something we, he wants us to do. In everything we do, we should only do things to others that we want them to do to us. So we don't want others to harm us, so we should not harm them. We want others to be kind to us so we should be kind to them. God commands to his people to be kind to one another. God's comman- sorry, God commands his people to be kind to one another in our words and in our works. But what if the people around us are not always kind in their words and their works? How do we handle that? Well, that brings us to the final command we'll look at in this series. God commands his people to be compassionate to one another. Now, looking again at Ephesians 4.1, Paul says, so, sorry, 4.32 is what we're going to look at. Be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now, the Greek word translated, be compassionate here, it carries the idea of being sympathetic and understanding about the weaknesses and the faults of others. And since it's in the context of forgiving one another, well, what Paul's saying here is we must be sympathetic and understanding. We must be kind and tenderhearted toward those who sin against us. So Paul's saying, be compassionate, show your compassion for one another by forgiving one another. But why should we be sympathetic to the weaknesses and the faults of others? Why should we be compassionate and offer forgiveness to those who sin against us? Well, one reason is because we all have our own weaknesses, right? Our own faults. We've all sinned against others. And we all want others to have compassion and forgive us when we sin against them. Is that right? We want others to treat us the way we want them or the way we want to be treated. But even more, we should all be compassionate and forgive those who sin against us because that's what God does for us, right? And we want to imitate God. In Ephesians 4, 32 through 5, 1, Paul says we're to forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. God is compassionate, and he forgives us when we sin against him, and he commands us to be like him by doing the same for one another. Now, Jesus gives us more details about how this all works out in our lives in Matthew 18 there Jesus talks about how to handle a brother or sister who sins against us. He says to confront them and tell them their fault. Tell them their sin just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, if they confess and repent of their sin against you, then you are to forgive them. Well, if they don't listen to you, well, you take one or two other members of the church and you confront them together. And if they don't confess and repent of their sins at this point, then you tell it to the whole church. And if they don't listen to the church, if they don't confess and repent of their sin, then they're to be put out of the church. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, I thought we were to forgive others like God forgives us in Christ. Putting people out of the church really doesn't sound much like forgiveness, does it? Well, the person who is put out of the church is someone who sins against others, is confronted and refuses to confess and repent of their sin. And that is exactly how God forgives us in Christ. When we confess our sins and repent of our sins, God forgives us. So although we're taught to forgive one another, the church should not be a place where unrepentant people are allowed to flourish. Now, in response to Jesus' teaching about forgiveness, Peter comes up to the Lord and he asks him a question. In Matthew 18, 21, Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times. So Jesus teaches us that we should forgive one another. And Peter's like, well, that's cool. I like that. But surely there must be a limit to how many times I shall forgive someone. I'm willing to go up to maybe say, I'll go up to seven, maybe we'll start with that. I don't know if you thought Jesus might come down or go up or whatever. Anyway. So, but in Matthew 18, Jesus says to Peter, well, Peter, your number is far too low. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times, or some translations will say 70 times seven. And Jesus is not saying that we should keep tabs on how often someone sins against us. And when they reach a certain number, then we say, you know what, I'd really like to forgive you, but that would be number 78, and my mercy meter only goes to 77. (laughs) Instead, the number 77 or 70 times seven Or Jesus' way of saying that our forgiveness, our offering mercy to one another should be limitless. There's no limit. God expects us to offer limitless forgiveness, limitless mercy to those who ask for mercy and repent of their sins just like he does for us. And to make sure that Peter and we get the point, well, Jesus goes on to tell a parable to illustrate this truth. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. It's a pretty big passage, but we need to read it all. Jesus says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. But the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So you notice in this story that the first servant in Jesus' parable was forgiven a huge debt by his master. A talent is worth 16 years wages for a day labor. So this servant who owed his master 10,000 talents would have taken 160,000 years to pay off his debt. Unless he took Financial Peace University, he probably could have paid it off at half the time. <laughs> this guy had no way of ever paying off his master for that debt. So he begged his master to have mercy on him. And what did his master do? Well, his master had pity on him. The master did not say, pay back as much as you can on the debt, and that's going to settle it. Well, instead, the master showed him mercy and forgave the whole debt simply because the servant begged him to have mercy on him. Now that servant represents all of us. The master represents Jesus' father, and the debt represents our sins. We've committed a huge amount of sin against God. And to pay that huge sin debt would take all of eternity. In other words, we can never pay it back. But like the master in the parable, our father has pity on us. And God forgives our huge debt of sin without making us pay back any of what we owe. God cancels our sin debt. He wipes out our sin debt. He forgives us for the multiple times we've sinned against him. And that should affect our attitude about forgiving one another. Going back to the parable, shouldn't the servant who was forgiven such a huge debt have treated his fellow servants the same way he was treated by his master? Shouldn't he have followed the master's example and been compassionate, merciful, and forgiving to his fellow servants? Of course he should. But instead of following the example of his master, Jesus says that the servant went and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. He puts the dude in a chokehold and then he demands repayment. Now, 100 denarii was about four months wages for a day labor. So that's a, it really is a significant amount of money four months' worth of wages, pretty much money. But it's nowhere near the 160,000 years' worth of wages the servant's master had forgiven him. And although his fellow servant begged the first servant to have mercy on him and be patient with him, just like he had asked his master, well, the first servant was unwilling to be merciful. And I want you to notice the word, he's unwilling to be merciful. It's Something he could have done, but he chose not to. He treated his fellow servant harshly, and had him thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. And then notice that this, this servant becomes called the wicked servant. He's, this wicked servant does, did not treat others as his master had treated him. And that made the master rightfully angry. So the master reinstated this wicked servant's debt and had him thrown into prison until he could pay back all he owed. And that's never going to happen. And that wicked servant represents everyone who refuses to forgive their brothers and sisters who sins against them. If we don't forgive one another for our, from our hearts for the sins that people commit against us, again, people who sin against us, ask for mercy, repent of their sins, if we don't forgive them from our hearts, then God will not forgive us. As Jesus says in Matthew six fourteen through 15, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So we don't want to be like that wicked servant. It's outrageous to expect God to forgive us when we refuse to be compassionate, merciful, and forgiving toward one another. God will not forgive us unless we forgive others. So both Paul and Jesus teach us to follow the example of our heavenly father in our relationships with one another. We should be quick to forgive those who ask for mercy. Now, we should always make it our aim to avoid off, uh, offending one another, sinning against one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, right? That should be all of our aim. But sometimes it happens. And this is not excusing sin in any way. It's just stating the facts. Sometimes we sin against others and others sin against us. And this happens because although believers have been born again and indwelt by the spirit of God, We're all still learning to walk in the Spirit. We're learning to be like Jesus. We're all being transformed into his image. And during that process of transformation in any area of our lives where we're not like Jesus, well, we're liable to sin against others and others are are liable to sin against us. And when that happens, we're to do what Jesus tells us to do in Luke 17, 3 through 4. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now you might say, that doesn't sound like repentance if the dude keeps coming back and asking for forgiveness. Well, Jesus didn't say he was doing the same thing. He repented of one thing and then he sinned against you in another way. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying if that person repents, then you've got to forgive him. That's what we've been talking about in this parable and all these things. Again, we see the limitless compassion and mercy we're to offer to one another. Jesus says we must be compassionate and merciful and forgive one another, just like God forgave us. Paul puts it this way in Colossians 3.13. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So whatever grievance we may have against one another, we're to forgive as the Lord forgave us. And what that means is we cancel one another's debt as God has canceled ours. We say, I choose, I make a decision with my own will. I choose not to remember what you did when you sinned against me. I'm not gonna hold that against you. I refuse to bring that sin up ever again. That's what it means to forgive one another as God forgives us. But I'm afraid that we have a skewed understanding of biblical forgiveness. We say things like, well, I'll forgive but I won't forget. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody ever said that? That's a very popular saying, but that's not the way God forgives us. If we want to be like God, we need to both forgive and forget. As Paul says in Hebrews ten sixteen through 17, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. As part of the new covenant, God not only forgives our past sins, but he forgets our sins. He chooses not to remember our sins anymore. And that means he's not ever going to hold those sins against us unless we don't forgive others and we get our sin reinstated. He's going to choose to remember it then. God expects us to do the same for others. others. He doesn't remember our sin. We're not to remember the sins of others. Now, maybe there's somebody who sinned against you in some way. You had they had a you had some kind of grievance against them. You've confronted them about their sin. They've confessed their sin to you, and they've asked for your forgiveness. But you're still holding that sin against them. You put them in prison until they should pay for their sins. And maybe you say that you've forgiven them, but you won't forget what they've done to you. And your actions toward that person show that you've really not forgiven them at all. Do you avoid that person? Or every time you're around them, you remember what they've said and done to hurt you. Or maybe you still bring up their past sins when they do something that you don't like. You get in an argument with them and you bring up the stuff from the past. Well, if you have someone in debtor's prison for the sins they've committed and confessed, well, God's word for you today is this. Let it go. Let them go. Forgive them as God has forgiven you. Forget their sins as God has forgotten your sins. And you might say, well, you don't understand what so-and-so has done to me. You don't understand how bad it hurt when so-and-so sinned against me in this way or in that way. And you may be right. I may not know. But God knows. And God's son knows. That people can do and say some significantly hurtful things to us. Like I said earlier, our words often wound worse than than uh, somebody physically attacking us. But God also knows that whatever anyone has said or done to sin against us is not worth comparing to what we've done to sin against him. And God has compassion and forgives us when we ask him. And God expects us to have compassion and forgive those who ask for our forgiveness. You know, I believe God does not tell us to do anything that we cannot do through the power of his grace. So let's obey God's command to be compassionate by forgiving one another. Now, as we close today's teaching and close out this series, we've seen over the past three weeks that God commands us to love one another, serve one another, honor one another, to teach, counsel, and encourage one another. And today we saw that God commands us to be devoted to one another by treating one another like family, to be kind to one another in our words and in our works. And finally, we saw that God commands us to be compassionate to one another by being sympathetic and merciful to the weaknesses of one another and by forgiving and forgetting when others sin against us, just like God forgives us. So all that's left to do now is learn to practice these and all the other one another's. Let's keep asking God to to, to give us the desire and the ability to do his will. And then, through God's grace... Let's all do what God gives us the power to do. Today and every day, let's live for one another. Let's all stand for prayer. Lord, we thank you for making us a part of your family. Thank you for the relationships we're building with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I ask you to continue to pour out your love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and to continue to give us the will and the ability to live for one another. In the name of your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So they're going to sing a last song. Before they do that... I'm going to speak the Lord's blessing over you all. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen.